You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. I know this was coming. I walked Sultana. Sultana High School. Listen, all these names. (laughs) Hesperia, Sultana. We were the Sultana Sultans. That's a. (laughs) Sounds appropriate. Like Robin Williams in blue. Did you win? Often, yeah, we had a pretty competitive teams. There you go. <laughs> I wore a very loud. This is like very professional. Very loud coat tonight. Yeah, I um, imagined more like what I saw at the Thrive Conference, where it well, was that's just what it team. was. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got this new fandangled stuff. Yeah, just like very cool ignore it. It's not here. Talk to me about your time frame between. California and college and schooling in Ohio. That's a long way away. California and college was a long way. (laughs) Feels like it was so long ago. Kevin was in, when did we meet? 2001. Yeah, right after 9-11. But I had started at UC Riverside in the fall of 2000, right after I had graduated. Did my freshman year and then I started my sophomore year at UC Riverside, and then 9-11 happened, and things with my mom happened that she just got real ill, couldn't live by herself, and then I don't know exactly how it happened, but I was, I remember my dad had let me borrow his truck. I was going back and forth to visit him, and I broke his truck, so I had to buy a new car. Kevin was selling a car to move to Ohio. Him and his mom and his brother were moving here after she had lost her husband, his stepdad. After I bought his car, we just kind of kept talking, and we knew he was moving. And we kind of went on a few dates, but just kind of stayed friends, and he moved. And then two months later, my mom moved out there with her new husband. That following summer, she got really ill and couldn't live by herself. And school was overwhelming for me. I was in a pre-med program that I couldn't keep up with, and so competitive and I was like this is not for me (laughs) I decided that I wanted to do something different so I took I think it was the following fall off and played volleyball at a community college and did just some prereqs for anything sociology and some other stuff and then when my mom got sick I was like okay I need to go live with her like I was feeling this overwhelming guilt like she was out there by herself because her husband had left her and Her new husband? Yeah. It was just, it was very hard for me to be so far away. And I had this weird guilt with my mom too, that because I was very angry with her, but I just knew that she couldn't be by herself. So I decided I was going to move out there after that fall. And I had gone out there at some point before she had gotten sick and visited with her and Kevin had, you know, I went and visited him. That fall, I I decided I was going to move out there. This is to Ohio? Yeah. Okay. Out here. And um, she actually lived in Lucasville, which is very south, the very tip, like Portsmouth. And Kevin lived up here in Latonia with his mom. But he came to California, helped me pack up, and moved me cross country. Um, But before we left California, he proposed and we got engaged. And it was like, quick. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
What brought your mom to Ohio and what brought Kevin's mom to Ohio? So Kevin's mom actually was born in Akron and she had you know lost her husband Kevin's dad was in the military they had moved to San Diego and so they lived their lives out there and so she stayed out there and she met her second husband out there um, worked together so after he died she's like I just need to be near family and she had reconnected with a sister that she had lost connection with throughout her life and she lived in Latonia and so after her husband passed, she came and visited, and Kevin and his brother really loved it out here. So they're like, we're going to go, too. You know, they were both adults in their mid-20s, and nothing kept them in California. So they went with her. And my mom, the ge- gentleman she had married, um, they had met out in California. He was in the military, and he was from Ohio. And so he moved back after he got discharged and. She was working at a hospital out here and when she got sick. So. All the way from California. Yeah. Weird, huh? I had no idea. That I was from California? Right. Yeah. No, none. I, That's we kind wild. of We fit really well in Ohio. I think it, we were kind of meant to be. Here. I was going to say, you, f- <laughs> you feel like Ohioans. We are. So I was right before my 21st birthday is when we, I moved out here and okay. Kevin was a, a year before that. So. Aww. How long was it before you got married? 2005, we got married. So we were engaged for four years because I was in school. (laughs) I was in school and I was like, I have got to finish school before I make any other major commitments in my life. You know, after marriage, lots of things just kind of happen. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to start to have a family and everything until I knew I was going to be stable. I never actually wanted to get married. It was kind of... I was like Kevin this. is aware of this. <laughs> yes, he okay. is aware of this. <laughs> I wanted to be independent. I marriage was not on my in my plans. So you you said your mom left your dad. Was that a bad experience? It wasn't good. I was in high school, like junior senior year, and I'm the oldest of five kids, and I was kind of in my own life. So mm-hmm. it didn't affect me, I think, as much as my siblings. You know, my my youngest brother is 12 years younger than me. It hurt me more that it hurt them. And that's what I was angry about, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have since forgiven my mom. I knew that there was a lot she was going through. I don't know the details, but I know my mom and dad have remarried since then. So Wait, what? Yes. And they live out here in Ohio. <laughs> oh, oh, they're married to each other again? Yes, they have been remarried. Um, so I was, there wait, has been I was trying to track that. Lots of reconciliation <laughs> um, and stuff that wild. they worked through. Yeah. And what year did your house burn? Oh, that was last year, 2020. It was 2020? <laughs> yeah. Like January? Before August. August. August of 2020. It was in the midst of it all. Oh, gosh. It was God right bless when you. we were trying to reopen the country. <laughs> Is your maiden name Zizzer? Zizer. <laughs> Man, I'm butchering everything. <laughs> Zizzer, Zizer, Zoo. Yeah. Sounds like a say, We're in a Dr. Seuss story this Has- evening. Hesperia? Hesperia, yeah. Hesperia and... So you first went to the University of California, Riverside, where you were studying pre-med? Yeah, I was in the biomedical sciences program, which was a very 
exclusive program it to get into. I was very exclusive. proud of myself to get into that program. It was a, you know, you did your three years of undergrad, and then your fourth year was a combination of your first year of medical school. And so I was like, super excited, super committed, and super overwhelmed. Mm. I was not a good studier. You know, I'd done well in high school, but didn't know how to study and, and then barely made it through my freshman year. And what's your current job? I am a registered nurse. I am a charge nurse. We call them team leads on our unit. I used to be the nurse manager. I have recently been able to remove that title from me. Is that with a uh, smile? It was, yes, it was. it's with a great smile. Okay. I loved the job. I was not fit for the job. Mm. I thought that's what I always wanted to do, to lead nurses in that role and that's not where I was meant to lead them that's that's just not the role as a charge nurse I do much better of what I expect of myself what was the first title called I was a nurse manager for a while it's a charge nurse so usually there's nurses on the unit who have patient assignments you know four to six patients each and the charge nurse kind of just helps to run the unit make sure the assignments are done assist all the nurses and just kind of keep things moving right along you know, because we're a 24-7 business. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I love Mercy Health. Um, I think I started in Youngstown, and when we opened the inpatient units in Boardman in 2007, I was actually a coordinator, which is kind of like a supervisor for the shift on night shift. And it was just – it was awesome to open a brand-new facility, and I was so lucky to be able to do that. Um, we are very proud of our building, too. You mm-hmm. know, some people call it Hotel Boardman. It is <laughs> – <laughs> it is a beautiful facility, but um, we take a lot of pride in it. I mean, we've built an awesome culture of positivity there. And the reason that I chose Mercy Health, which used to be Humility of Mary, when I first um, accepted a position there, was really because of the mission that they serve. You know, mm-hmm. their mission is to extend the compassionate ministry of Jesus, mm-hmm. to make communities better especially to the poor dying and underserved. So whenever I really get frustrated with my job, I'm like, okay, let's take it back to the mission. (laughs) Why am I here? What am I doing this for? And when I was a nurse manager, I really tried to focus in on that because when you're in the midst of it and you're stressed about budget, you're stressed about staffing, you're stressed about not having the supplies you need, you're just like, okay, we have what we need to do what we're meant to do. So let's just focus on that. It was hard to convey that to people when they didn't have what they needed to do their job. And so I was to a point where this is just not for me anymore. Mm. I'm and glad I, I know that's down. been a big relief to you. It has since been. And numerous people that I work with have said how much happier I am. So. It's been fun having you guys in Sunday school class. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think this summer you guys started taking Sunday school. Yeah. You know, there's some fun guys in that class. That there group, are. So. There's, there's a lot of fun people here. Speaking of fun people, look at you decked out. Yeah. Hawking Hills State I, like, Park. Threw my hat on. I was yeah, like, okay, you I'm went good to go. <laughs> with two of your new upper room friends to yes, Hawking Hills. Jen and to... Lisa have been awesome new friends that God really brought some women into my life that I think I needed. Mm. They are awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you that. screw up, say, oh, scratch that. Like, she'll edit it all out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it can all go. Not all, awesome. but some. Like, yeah, Wendy's like, take it all out. We're like, no. <laughs> I actually listened to Wendy's today. Her story was amazing. 
I was like, wow, my story is not interesting like that. (laughs) Everybody has a story. um, God has been telling me a lot lately that I have value. I was very, very anxious about this. I was terrified. I'm like, well, I don't, what am I going to share? But a couple weeks ago at at Sunday school, you asked us to just listen to what the Holy Spirit was telling us in that moment. There was like a moment of silence during Sunday school. I'm like, he just kept telling me, you have value. You have value. I'm like, I do? Okay. (laughs) And so I have been putting myself out there in ways that I never thought I should. So, um... This is one of those <laughs> putting myself out there moments because something I'm going to say has value to yes. somebody. Yeah. Um, because I feel like every podcast that I've listened to has given me a smidgen of something. Right? They do. Everybody's story just touches you in some way. You're like, wow, mm-hmm. God really does amazing things mm-hmm. in different people's lives. And you know what? He has done some great things in my life. And I need to share that. Thank you for saying that. I think that's good to hear you say that. You were thinking that, but then God's like, you have value because people, so many people have said, I don't have anything to say, but everybody has a story. Yes. And God died on the cross for all of us and Mm -hmm. thinks you're valuable Mm because he chose that. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Bethel. (laughs) Are you going to make me say it's cattle? I mean, really? (laughs) For real? Or cattle? It sounds European. (laughs) Hey, tell. (laughs) (laughs) We are here with Cheryl. Cheryl Lynn Williams. Yep, that's me. So glad to have you here, Cheryl. I'm waiting for someone to say Kim. Kim. Someone. (laughs) And correcting myself every time and then calling her Kim again. (laughs) We're here with Cheryl today. So welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. I'm glad to have you here. She's been nervous for three months because we've had her scheduled. But I'm calm today. And God's been teaching Good. you so much in this in the three months you've been thinking about that. So we can't wait to hear more about that. Cheryl was born and raised in Hesperia, California. She is a California girl and lived there until she was 21 years old. Daughter of James and April Zeiser. She graduated from Sultana High School in 2000. She was a volleyball player. She played from nine years old through college. When she graduated from high school, she was accepted into the biomedical science program at UC Riverside and was very proud of her accomplishments, was going in for pre-med. A year and a half into that program, she decided that that's not her cup of tea and decided to switch gears. Met Kevin because he was selling a car and moving back to Ohio, and she bought the car from him. (laughs) This is the most random story. I know. Because he was a California guy. How about that? So they met because he had to sell his car to move to Ohio, and she needed a car eventually to move to Ohio. (laughs) Apparently, I did move it to Ohio, that car. Cheryl did move to Ohio because her mother had moved there. Her mom became ill and Cheryl felt like she needed to leave school in California and move to Ohio, where Kevin was. In Ohio, she went to Shawnee State University in Portsmouth, Ohio, and got her bachelor's in chemistry and her associates in nursing. And then she moved to Kent State Salem, where she got her bachelor's in nursing. Kevin and Cheryl got married in 2005. They have two children, two daughters, 
Casey, who's 13, and Chloe, who is 11. Cheryl's a registered nurse. She's the charge nurse or a team lead at Mercy Health in Boardman. She was in the nurse managers program and just recently made a switch to that and has felt like that's been a great move for her. She has a heart for the mission of Mercy Health and taking care of nurses and patients. Mm -hmm. She loves volleyball still. She likes scrapbooking, but who has time for scrapbooking when you have kids? You just (laughs) take so much focus. You can't even get pictures out of your phone anymore. Like who has a piece of paper? (laughs) I don't even remember the last time I think I printed photos. Mm. I scrapbooked once. I was pregnant with Kana. And I was like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I literally have a scrapbook with two pages. Oh, I've got six. <laughs> you know. I went to 15, visit my friend who was a huge scrapbooker. Oh. I took, they were like, the boys were four and two. We went down to visit them. I made six pages. I was so proud of them. <laughs> Haven't. <laughs> the end. The end. The end of scrapbooking. Cheryl loves the outdoors. She loves working in her yard, taking her five-year-old pit bull page on walks hiking, camping, and kayaking, lots of adventure. She's She likes to be in the great outdoors. Does okay. Kevin like the great outdoors with he you? He does, yes. Okay. Kevin and Cheryl's house burnt down in August 2020. What a year 2020 for all of us as a nurse working in the middle of the, the beginning of the pandemic yeah. and shortly after that having their house burned down. It's been a woozy, but Cheryl and Kevin have been at the upper room for the past two and a half to three years. So glad to have you here, Cheryl. I'm so glad to be here. So Cheryl, tell us who or what turned your light on? I remember always being in church. My parents were very, very good our entire lives about making sure that we were at church. My earliest memories were at a friend's church in West Covina, California, I think where my parents had like started after they had gotten married, we went to an evangelical church, we went to a Baptist church, we went to several non-denominational churches, but we were always in church. So I accepted Jesus at a very young age. I couldn't tell you exactly when, because I just always remember, I always loved Jesus. It was always part of my life. And when people would say, you know, when did you accept? I'd be like, I don't remember. It's just always been a part of me. I do remember a significant point in my life in high school where I I was probably 16 years old and it was just me and my sister who was 15 months younger than me were at church that day. And we were listening to the message and I just had this overwhelming feeling that I just needed to go forward. I don't even, I I don't think I was even listening to the message. I just had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to go forward after the message. And so when I went up, um, I took my sister with me, like I grabbed her by the arm and we're like, I'm going, you've got to go with me. And she was like, what? So I dragged her up there with me and our youth pastor, who we were very close with, spit out his gum and he's like, I was not prepared for this. And I was like, okay, it kind of caught me off guard when he said that. And I was just like, I don't know why I'm so, I'm up here, but I just had this feeling I needed to be. But there's been multiple points throughout my life where I just felt like God really was putting my light out there for some reason. In high school, we did 
a CIY trip to a Christ in Youth conference. And I had a almost argumentative conversation with the leader about where God was leading us. And I felt like God can use me wherever I am. And she's like, no, you need to listen more carefully to what he's saying. And I'm like, but he can use me while I'm playing volleyball. You know, he can use me to reach people. And she's like, well, that may not always be the answer. And I was like, okay, but he still can. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I, I felt like I always was a role model to kids my age. Adult leaders told me that. And it allowed me to say, okay, yes, I, I can do this. And I think that let my light shine a little bit. So you had a lot of different, uh, you were exposed to a lot of different denominations. Yeah great denominations. I never felt out of place. Everybody loved Jesus and they talked about the personal relationship. So it was little different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually was part of an Assemblies of God ministry. I think there was just multiple people throughout my life who just encouraged me. And that's kind of what turned my light on is giving me that God has a purpose for you that you're going Mm -hmm. to give to other people. And I'm like, I'll do that. (laughs) And it felt real to you. Like you knew you had a relationship with Jesus. And yeah, I just always knew I could count on him. Like it was never second knowledge. You know, it was never, you know, you don't, you go through periods in your life where things are going well and you don't feel as connected because I don't need God at this point. Did that for a couple periods throughout college and high school, but, and even after Kevin and I got married, but he was always there. You know, it was never, uh, now I need to get back to God. He was always there. I just like your attitude. People came along and encouraged me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I believe that. You know, (laughs) just the simplicity in that. Believing that changes things. Like even if you were saying in class, you just felt like God was expressing your value. And instead of arguing and fighting, you were just like, yeah, I can believe that. And that's moved into, in the last couple of weeks breakthrough or, you know, some sort of... It is a little bit of an epiphany that, you know, I kind of felt like for a long time that humility was a very important part of my personality that I needed to remain humble. And I felt like if you have this value that you put on yourself, then is that humility? I didn't like that, how that kind of jived. But... The more we have talked about the scripture and the values of the kingdom, I have learned how much God values each one of us, the glory that we possess. And I just, I've never been taught that way. I've never been, it's never been revealed to me that way. And so this has been very refreshing, a new part of a relationship I didn't understand before. You know, I've always had a good relationship, always prayed, always not just gone to him in desperation, but this is like a new friendship level that I didn't experience before. It's kind of like we talked about on Sunday how the gospel of the kingdom is bigger than the gospel of salvation. Salvation. Like salvation is the very beginning of it. And then... There's more. That's a shameless plug. Shameless <laughs> plug for our Sunday, Sunday school class, Values of the Kingdom, and also our sermon series that Chris has started on Values of the Kingdom. So if you want to know more about what the Upper Room is all about and what our values are, you can check out the podcast from Chris's sermon. Check it out. 
It's mm-hmm. been good stuff. It really has. And Kevin and I started, we were part we're part of the marriage class that Marta and Greg are doing as well and kind of how it's all connected and really understanding what marriage's role is in the kingdom has been, wow, <laughs> really eye-opening for us as well. So you're like, what the heck have we been doing all yes, this time? <laughs> yes. I'm like, why did I not know this? How has this never been told to me this way? You know, or why have I not heard it this way before? It may have been told to me and I was not listening. I will just be honest <laughs> because I've, I've always been in church, honestly. It just And maybe I just was not hearing what they were trying to tell me. Well, and sometimes we're just not in the place where we're ready to learn that. And then I think when God knows you're ready, he'll present information to you and you're like, it's exciting and it's fun to learn and to grow in new areas. Yeah. And when you hear a verse that you've known your whole life and you just look at it a different way and... I have a much op- much more open heart at this point in my life than mm-hmm. I have before. I think a lot of focus has been on, I want to be a good mom. I want to be a good wife. I want to be a, a good servant, but I want to be a good nurse. And have I been a good daughter? That's, I kind of lost that portion. I'm learning now. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is the focus on that, the focus of, am I being a good daughter I mean, really, that kind of plays out into all the other... Everything else. You know, motherhood, being a wife, being a worker, a servant. Yeah, that pours out into... I realize that. It needed to start it there. Yeah. <laughs> That's your first role. <laughs> right. And Marty even talked about that, like, where she had this revelation after the passing of her mom and the passing of her brother that she had seen herself in so many roles. And then she's a daughter of, what'd she say? The daughter of the most high God or something like that. But the revelation that that brings, it's a big deal. Yeah. So tell us, Cheryl, what lights you up? Um, I would say my children, my husband, my family, being outside, outdoors. But I think where my biggest passion is right now is teaching young nurses how to be good nurses. Our industry is so overwhelmed right now that it's hard to do your job well. When I came into nursing, I had some wonderful preceptors who really took me under their wing and taught me the basics and built on those. And I feel like our young nurses right now are being thrown into the lion's den. You know, it's hard. It's not an easy job. It's stressful. It's emotionally taxing. It's physically taxing. It's psychologically taxing. And it's not for the weak heart. You have to have a passion for this work in order to do it well. I want to build that passion because sometimes they don't come into it with the passion. A lot of a lot of people do. They come in, they want to serve people, they want to help people. And when I would interview nurses, that's what they went into nursing for is I want to help people. That's what I love to do. But it's got to be more than that because you're going to have to help people that you're not going to like, <laughs> you know? You're going to have to serve people and do things that are uncomfortable and can push you to your limits and make you think that you can't do what you've been trained to do. And just giving those nurses the empowerment to say, you can do this, you know, as long as we are serving our mission, then you're going to have everything you need to do what you need to do. Because there comes a lot of fear when you have not the knowledge, you know, we have patients that are in the hospital now are way sicker than when I started 16 years ago, you know, people are living longer, but they have so many 
disease processes on top of disease processes and so many complicated things going on, so many medications that it can be overwhelming for a nurse to understand what's going on. And when you have a group of patients that you're trying to care for, not only giving medication, but assessing their signs and symptoms and treating their emotional health, their spiritual health, their psychological health, and helping their families cope, you know, social economic issues. It's it's a lot. So being that support has been my passion. And I thought being a nurse manager was going to help me do that. And I discovered it's not where you do that. It's, you know, at the front lines where you really do that. You teach them you're in the ditch with them, you know, you're fighting. And um, sometimes it feels like you're in a ditch (laughs) because it's hard. It really is. You know, staffing has been just as bad in the medical field as it has been everywhere else. But we've been struggling with staffing issues for years and years. You know, it's not just been recent. It's just been even more dramatic recently. So, well, Cheryl, walk us back to March 16th, oh 2020. <laughs> and, you know, we, I don't think we've had a nurse on here. Tell us about that. Hmm. What were you guys going through? So March 13th and 14th, I can tell you exactly what was going on that weekend. I was in Toledo, or that week, I was in Toledo with a patient experience conference. All of our nurse leaders were there, were supposed to be there. But with the way things were going in the country, they a lot of them had decided not to go. But I was a new leader, and my superior had decided, you know what, you need to go, you know, bring back the information and stuff. And it was a wonderful conference. But when we were leaving was the day that they closed schools in Ohio. That was the day I got the phone call, and I was like, okay. So school is going to be closed. I better go get my bootstraps pulled up to work hard the next few months, we thought. March, we started getting an influx of patients pretty quickly. Ohio's spike went really fast. And especially in our area, it did as well. By April and May, we were busting at the seams as far as patients. We had shut down all surgeries so that we could use their staff to take care of patients. We converted our PACU into an ICU. We had pulled in a lot of agency staff to help us. And we had an amazing leadership team who wanted to hear what was going on the front line so they they could best support us. I would never say anything bad about our leadership team. I know there can be a lot of bad rumors out there, but I kind of was in the middle between you know, senior leadership and front lines. And I just saw how the heart of our ministry was to, we've got a lot of patients to take care of, and we have to find the best way to do that. Every day there was new changes. We had our medical director of the ministry would get on and send some new information, and we would pass it down to the frontline staff, new ways to care for them, new isolation protocols. Did we wear a mask? Did we not wear a mask? Did we wear eye protection? Did we not? You know, it was constantly changing and it was so overwhelming. That's what hurt. They just didn't know what to do. And so um, as leaders, we were just trying to constantly communicate. I hate text messaging, but I was constantly texting my staff to make sure they were up to date on things, making sure I was printing everything I could to present emails. I had our nurses station was littered with postings of, you got to read this information. I would tell them in huddle, you know, you have to read this. I can't 
read everything to you. You guys have to go out there and do these jobs. You have to be able to protect yourselves and protect your patients. So we at first on my unit um, did not take care of COVID patients until probably a month in. And at that point, we were just being as flexible as we could to do what we had to do. During the summer months when things slowed down, it was a great relief. And then in the fall and winter when it spiked back up, people had this anxiety about, oh my gosh, we're coming back into it. How am I going to deal? There was a lot of trauma that happened with our staff they didn't know how to deal with, that we didn't know how to deal with as leaders. We'd never been through something like that before. Mm -hmm. But we got a lot of guidance and our human resource team really put a lot out there for um, benefits for them, like uh, resources for them to reach out to. And when people needed time off, there was, you know, pace provided. It was, I feel very blessed to work for the company that I did because a lot of other companies didn't provide what he needed for their employees. We were never in that position. People may have felt that they were, but we really weren't. And I'm not saying that because I was in leadership. I have <laughs> no ties. I really honestly believe that they did everything they could with what they had, the knowledge they had. How did that impact you personally? Like, I remember back in those times, it's like you turn on the news and it's just like a deluge of fear, fear, yeah, fear, fear. It and was. you guys were on the front line staff seeing the people coming in and getting sick and dying or being on vents and struggling with that. How did you walk through that? I was at a point where I could not watch television. There was too much to cause fear and I couldn't be in that place to be a supportive leader. I couldn't be there. Having all that information from the news, which a lot of it wasn't true. You know, they were selling misinformation sometimes. So we never watched the news in our house for a while. I actually got sick in April and was off for three weeks. So it was terribly scary. My kids were at home, of course, and Kevin was at home because he was laid off. The country had closed down and and I was down for a good couple days and then got better, but we had to have two negative tests to come back. And oh my gosh, that was just the waiting to come back was really hard. And I knew how much my team needed me and not being there was really, really hard. But yeah, the news was not on in our house for a really long time. And actually, Jeremy and Sarah Lindemann had, we had been part of their home group and we were doing Zoom meetings for home group and they were like super supportive and constantly just giving us support and prayer. The whole group was praying for my team praying for our family and got an overwhelming amount of support from the women's ministry here. I got cards when I was sick. Becky Myers, wallet is her uh, married name. I worked directly with her so she knew I was sick and um, she had told her mom and her mom had reached out to the group. It was so unexpected and I was just like, wow, people really care this much? Yeah, I, I think I got like 15 cards. And Becky and her mom actually brought flowers to my doorstep just to show how much they I was loved and cared for. And so I think I got through it a lot better than some of the other staff who were taking direct care of patients. I was so overwhelmed with just making sure I could communicate things to them that I wasn't focused on. I knew that if the nurses had the information they needed to provide the care, they would be, provide excellent care because I knew the nurses we worked with. So that was my role. But being that nurse at the bedside and how much anxiety that caused not knowing what you didn't know, I didn't get to experience that. Mm. 
I think I discovered the reason I got sick is I actually was cleaning a room after a patient we thought was negative was actually positive and I had no mask on. But then I had several employees who got sick too. So I don't know. It was secondhand exposure somehow. Did your whole family get sick? No. Kevin and the girls never got sick. They never got tested positive. I should say. <laughs> <laughs> and then right off the heels of that trauma, your house burns down. Yeah. And you guys lose everything. We did. It was... Yeah, it was horrible. It really was. But we had a ton of support. We live in a very small cul-de-sac of people. And they're just amazing neighbors. A lot of them are related. (laughs) But they were just like there. They helped Kevin like try and get the fire out. The fire department showed up relatively quickly for being a volunteer fire department. But yeah, it was pretty devastating. And it was all my fault. (laughs) I was cooking dinner on our gas grill in our garage, and uh, I had gone back in the house to do something and gone back out. And, you know, we had two garage doors, um, two-car garage, and both of them were open, and you couldn't even see from our kitchen. You couldn't see out those garage doors because it was just black smoke. I'm like, Kevin, I think the grill's on fire. Girls, get out of the house. Okay, I screamed. I believe I screamed pretty loud. Um, I have a little miles in the corner over here. (laughs) (laughs) It was bad, but we did. Our neighbors all helped us. But that's been a long haul Mm -hmm. working through that. Because you're on what month? So it was August 4th of 2020. So we're at, yeah, so. 15 months. Yeah, terribly long time. Mm. You know, contractors were overwhelmed when, Mm -hmm. in August, the job was going to be really big. The manpower was limited. Supplies were limited. And so Kevin and I were like, this is probably going to be more than a three to six month project. We didn't know how long it was going to take. We had, you know, neither of us had been through a house fire. So we had no idea what to expect. Or through a pandemic. Right. So yeah. everything was new. Um, so we just kind of were very patient. You know, by March, when nothing had happened, we're like, okay, we can do all this demolition ourselves. We ended up, you know, just renting a bunch of dumpsters and ripped everything out of our house. And the girls even helped. We like put them to work. And so we did it all ourselves. Kevin rented a bobcat and cleaned up, you know, where the main fire was because it was an eyesore in our community. You know, it was, it was terrible, but we just kept trying to be patient and being patient wasn't working. You know, we weren't getting anywhere. And then the insurance company wasn't kind to us. And But I will say that it has really drawn Kevin and I closer together. We weren't in a great place before the fire. We There was nothing seriously going wrong. But I would say that through this entire thing, we have had to rely on each other's knowledge to get through what do we do. I ask a lot of questions sometimes things I probably don't need to know, but he's been gracious. My husband, Kevin, has been gracious to just, you know, help me answer questions. And he has works in the industry, so he knows what's going on. And it's been challenging, but it has really brought us closer together as we've worked together through this crisis (laughs) in our lives. Who has God been for you in the midst of these back-to-back traumatic experiences? I would say he's been our protector. He's been our guidance. He's been our peace. You know, it's hard to find peace in the turmoil of what do I do now kind of thing. But for me, I can't speak for Kevin specifically, but for me, it's been like, God's going to take care of us. I know this is not going the way we expected or how it should go, according to everybody else Mm -hmm. we've talked to. 
but he's going to get us through this. Some way, somehow, something we don't see is going to happen. So he has been just something to rely on, and that's been our steady. A little bit heavy, I'm sorry. No, no. (laughs) Sometimes we all just... Or I say we, I just like... Yeah, I just want to skip all that bad stuff. But we live in a world of contradiction and life is hard sometimes, but God is faithful. He really has been. I sometimes you feel like, God, I don't I don't deserve your blessings in this. I don't deserve you to get me through this. I haven't been who I'm supposed to be. I know that I've kind of said no to you when you've asked me to do things. Why are you helping me through this? Why? Why have you given me this peace? <laughs> I don't know. He has been that peaceful rest that I needed when we couldn't find it anywhere else. Not that we should have been looking anywhere else, honestly, but yeah. Yeah, but the funny thing is we do. Always. We keep looking <laughs> everywhere else. There's a um, one of the chaplains at work um, has been amazingly supportive. He comes and checks on me all the time and prays for me. And I have been telling him my stories about what have we been going through and then my spiritual th- things that I've been going through too. And he's agreed with me with so many things. And I said, why don't I just go to him the first time all the time? Because it's always retrospective that I'm like, if I had started here, I wouldn't have gone through all of this. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we all do that. Yes, but why do we all do that? <laughs> I I don't have an answer for that. But he's just been a wonderful support for me. And he, um, we do a daily prayer every day during our safety call, our leadership team safety call. So um, I'm just, I'm glad to have people in my workplace and the comfort that I can have to do that because I know a lot of people don't have that where they work and don't have that ability to share freely or, you know, pray with their coworkers or pray with people they serve, you know, mm-hmm. their customers. But we have that and I am very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned this early about um, when we're talking about how you're letting your light shine, that you found yourself in something that it is your passion, leading and teaching young nurses, but you found yourself in a position where it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And you didn't feel like it was you were the best version of yourself. So talk to us about that. Because your light is shining. I can't even imagine. I've always been so impressed with you that you have such a peace and a joy about you, even in the midst of a really heavy last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Your light does shine. But talk to us about that process of where you've come in the last 18 months. Yeah. Okay. The peace is totally God because inside I'm in turmoil. (laughs) (laughs) God lets me portray that because as a leader, you can't be in that chaotic mindset because then your team will fall apart. And I actually have been in those places and I've seen how it manifests in your team that you work with. So Jesus just took me down from there and said, this is, I know you're going through a lot and I'm going to get you through it, but you need to be this. As I have been transitioning from the manager role to the role I'm absolutely loving and (laughs) letting my light shine and is been 
I oriented my replacement. I did a lot of things well in the role and could give a lot of knowledge. So I was happy to be able to pass that on to somebody who could manage it better. And um, one of the things she told me one day was, um, as I was telling her more about my story, she knew the basics of my story because she had worked indirectly with me. She's like, I don't know how you're getting through every day. And I was like, Sometimes I don't either. When I'm telling the story of what we've been through, I'm like, I think God's just like taking me day by day. You know, when I would go home some days, I would like just want to veg in front of the TV. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to talk to my kids. I don't want to talk to my husband. I just need nothingness to come at me. And that was really a bad time for me. But he pulled me out of it after I had decided that I'm going to step down because it was at that moment that I was like, this needs to stop. You can't live your life like this. You can't just fall asleep to everything that's going on around you. And it just, I felt like my world was crumbling around me. So if I ignored it all, it would just go away, but it didn't. So when she told me that, I was like, yeah, that has to be God because it wasn't me. And since then, multiple of my coworkers have said, you're so much better in this role. You have helped me so much over these last, this past week. I'm, I'm glad. You know, this is such confirmation that mm. God wants me to be here. Sometimes y- you need that confirmation that you were listening and you did hear him correctly because sometimes it's hard to make those kind of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was so impressed with you when we were talking about this, that you were able to make that decision to assess yourself and where you were. And as somebody who's in a senior leadership position, to have someone have that self-awareness of, I am not in the best place that I can be. I have gifts and skills and talents that can be used in a different way. That's so admirable. And I think it's so, there's so much wisdom in that. Sometimes people get stuck in, no, I worked for this position, or I want the title, or I want the accolades, and they're miserable, but they stay there, or they end up leaving the industry, whatever it is, completely because it was just a bad fit. I've just been so impressed with your wisdom and your self-awareness of this isn't the right fit, and that you made that change and just how much you've been shining since you've made it. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it's made a, a difference. Yeah. Our little mouse in the corner over here. It's, <laughs> I'm sure it's made a difference in your marriage, at home, with your kids, and, and just how you carry yourself. That's a really hard decision. Yeah, it was. I think that God was just taking me a different direction. And you have such a wealth of knowledge that you can pass on to these young nurses who... You know, you've been in different leadership levels and you've been in different roles and you can now say like you've made it through. I don't think the pandemic's over. They haven't announced that, but (laughs) you're making it through the pandemic and that's amazing. And so you've got young nurses coming in that missed all that. Yeah. Because they're brand new. And actually a lot of them were schooled through that. When you're in nursing school, you do practicums on hospital units. Got to go do your clinicals. And a lot of them even didn't even get to do some of their clinicals because the hospitals were closed and you couldn't come in. Some of them don't even have that hands-on experience that you need. And so guiding people through that is really important to me. I mean, people's lives are in your hands. You have to know what you're doing. Biggest thing that I tell nurses is please don't hesitate to ask. I'm here. No question is a stupid question. 
Nurses who come out of school arrogant and think that they know what they're going to encounter are in for a rude awakening. (laughs) It's a hard job. People can be very mean, you know, and some people aren't like that, you know, when they're not sick and they're a totally different person or we give them medications that make them a totally different person. So, and you don't realize that. So never come out of a, you know, schooling thinking you know everything because you will get schooled. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that building great nurses will build a greater health industry because nurses are the basic blocks. You know, we're right there. You know, physicians are awesome, but they don't spend as much time with people. And people are why we do this work. If we don't have great nurses who are going to care for those people, then we really are missing a big portion of what we're here to do. It's a tough job, but I love it. I really do love it. Um, There was a point when I was in nursing management that I was like, not liking or not wanting to go into work. And I think that was the big Mm. aha moment that this is not what I want. I, you know, my first 14 years, I never had those moments. I had terrible days at work, you know, people died or my coworkers didn't show up, you know, that happened all the time. And I had really bad shifts. But I always wanted to go back to make a difference. And when I was in management, and I was feeling that I don't want to go in today. That was like, I can't not want to go to work. Mm -hmm. I really do love what I do. And I know a lot of people can't say that even in nursing, because they've been through so much. But I, I know that I have a purpose. And I want to continue to live that purpose until God tells me something different. So live it out. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. And Cheryl, do you want to share a supernatural story or experience that you've had? So as I was thinking about this, I don't know that it was a supernatural experience, but I I feel like it was. I was part of Chi Alpha Ministries in college, and we had gone to this conference in LA, and the whole premise behind it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the gift of tongues. I had not been exposed to that in the different congregations that I had been a part of my whole life up until then. When we got into the main conference, and this is a huge conference room with hundreds of people during worship, it was great. And then all of a sudden, it became a circus. And I was terrified people were speaking in tongues. I honestly believe that some of them were just performing. And it scared me to death. I was like as still as I could be because people were around me dancing violently, swinging their arms. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get out of here before something happens. And I become part of something I'm not supposed to be a part of. So after that session, I went to the leader I had been there with and said, look, I don't know what's going on. And he explained to me, you know, a little more, gave me some scripture. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm still not feeling it. I don't think I should be here. And he's like, just come to the next session. It's smaller groups. And I was like, okay. So we went to the smaller groups. And again, it was, it just didn't feel right. Somebody was praying for us each individually. And when I got into the chair to be prayed for, somebody was pushing on my head, like seriously pushing on me. And I was like, having to fight to sit up straight straight in the chair. And I was like, this is not right. I don't know. This shouldn't feel this hard. If this was supposed to happen, it should happen. I believe Christ is within me. I don't need somebody to make it happen. Why is this so hard? 
We finish out the conference. I don't remember anything else about it. We get home to um, Riverside the following weekend. I am having a sleepover at my mentor's house. She was one of the leaders in um, our group. She was one of the upperclassmen. And we had a Bible study that night. I don't remember anything about the Bible study. But I just remember when I was asleep on the floor in her apartment in the living room by myself, I felt this hand sweep over me that... I was okay. Like it was a very peaceful sweeping, like a comforting pat and sweeping. I knew that everything was going to be okay, but that actually, I forgot to say this. Before I left that conference, I prayed to God, I do not want the gift of speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And I've prayed that multiple times in my life because it terrified me so much. And I didn't want to be that to somebody else. I did not understand it. That night, I don't know that I prayed that prayer again, but it was just such a peace that he came over me that I never forgot it. He just comforted me and said, you're my child and you will be okay. This is just a new experience that I'm allowing for you, you know? What's the rest of the story with that? There's... To be continued? Yes. And it's just a fear that I have been set in. It's something I need to give up. I have softened my heart a lot. He's opening me up and saying, you will be ready for this when you're ready for it. Uh, I'm like... (laughs) We were just talking, Kate and I were just talking about this today. And I told, didn't I tell you? I said that I had a very similar experience where I was at a tent revival. I don't even know where I was or who I was with. This screaming pastor was pushing on my head and I was like, oh, heck no. You're doing this. I remember that. We were just talking about that today. And I think sometimes we get a bad experience with men, not men, you know, with man. And it prevents us from getting to the truth or getting to what God really has in store for us because... Yeah. Sometimes man comes and messes it up and we take offense and we get stuck in that offense Yeah, from either being disappointed or scared or... Or feeling, manipulated, feeling really. like you're manipulated. And even though that was a bad experience, but God has something better for us. So yeah. it has been a big fear, but actually listening to a lot of the podcasts, when people have talked about their experience of receiving that gift, it's been so peaceful. And I'm like okay, I could do that. I could live with that. Because deep down, I think I really know I want it. And he's putting that on my heart. But I can't move past this block that's been in the way for what's been 20 years now. I think this is so great that you're talking about this when the story is to be continued. Yeah. And I just know that the grace that God has on you right now and the things that he's teaching you that you just weren't ready. You know, we, we've talked about that a little bit today. You weren't ready to even comprehend stuff. Like when you're at a place where you're open and you're ready, the Holy Spirit wants to come in and be your guide and teach you. I think what happens though is that when we feel like we've been manipulated or we have become offended or we've seen something that has really disturbed or upset us, I think we kind of throw the proverbial baby with the bathwater thing where we're like, that 
was a bad experience. So everything goes. Everything connected. It's all gone. <laughs> yeah. Everything. So I don't want a part of that. And so even though there may be something that's of Jesus in it, you know, we kind of so quickly just throw it all out. The church has done a good job at messing a lot of stuff up. <laughs> I think the yeah. church is... A lot of the church is trying to correct a lot of that now. I mean, I, I feel that way for us that we're trying to correct yeah. some of the, the, you know, the stuff that you saw pretty heavily in like the 90s and the 2000s. There were some bizarre stuff. You know what I mean? So I'm saying. <laughs> there was the 80s. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. the, maybe it was the 80s. But to be able to look back and to correct what we've done wrong and to try to bring people back. Yeah. Yeah. Give them the truth. Give them what Jesus wants them to have, not what man interpreted it to be. I have found here at the upper room that there's truth. There's a lot of truth. And that's what you don't find other places. Everything I feel like that's presented is found in scripture. There's not some weird interpretation of theology somewhere. It's here's where we came from with this idea and takes you all the way through. And that's what I love. I love the building blocks. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's all about Jesus's personal relationship and getting us back to the Father. Mm. You know, those whole teachings have been really empowering. So, and I know what we talked about Sunday morning was if it's broken or if it's not good, it's not done, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) To be continued. I'm a work in progress. Aren't we all though? Aren't we all? I just really appreciate you saying though that that was an experience that was really difficult and that you did not like and that you made a couple of like I will nevers saying, you know, but I just appreciate (laughs) that you can grow from those moments and mentally you're open enough to say, okay, I can look back at that moment and say, are there things that I'm ready for, not ready for? So often we just shut it down. So I just appreciate that you're open to look at it and question and ask and how do I feel about it now? Well, I think it's so cool how the Holy Spirit came to you. You know, you had said it felt like chaos, a circus, and how he came to you was peace and quiet and reassuring. And so the very thing that was giving you so much anxiety and yeah, terrifying you, he came in the opposite spirit of that and reassured you. And show me what he really meant for me is to have that. Well, Cheryl, it's been so fun having you on here tonight and hearing your story and just getting to to hear about process of the last 18 months and being a nurse and in the pandemic. And it's been such a delight having you here. And I really appreciate your honesty and your openness, authenticity (laughs) to be vulnerable. That's not easy, but um, I have noticed a lot of people here value vulnerability. Um, So it's been exemplified so be proud (laughs) i think you should be yeah that that was part of the comfort that i came to this with too is that you know i do have something valuable to share i don't know who's going to get what out of this so the story continues yes and make sure you tune in next week for another special guest bye Bye.